We brought back YouTube's most popular rabbi, Rabbi Manus Friedman, to talk about money, the stresses you can have when you deal with money, how to grow your money, how to view money, 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 money. Enjoy this week's episode. Being a Jew? Awesome. Managing personal finances? Not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. Welcome back to another episode of Kosher Money. Where we talk about money. How much can you talk about money? Right? How much is there to say? I feel like it encompasses the more the more you grow and the more you enter adulthood. As a child, you don't really think about it too much, but 20s, 30s, the bills start coming in. It's impossible not to think about it, right? You want to not think about it. Right. Let's talk about that. Our, our lives are, are very focused on money and attaining wealth. How would you compare today in Jewish history as it relates to money versus 30, 40, 100 years ago, other periods in, in Jewish history? It seems like, I'm not sure about this, but it seems like uh, careers have replaced God. In the olden days, you knew you had to have a blessing from above to make a couple of dollars because how do you make money? Mm-hmm. How? You do something, you try something, you buy something, you sell something, and you hope for the best. But when you have a career, it's like, this is how you make money. This produces money. So what's God got to do with it? It's like guaranteed money. And sometimes it looks that way, feels that way. If you do the right thing, you make the right moves, you're going to make money. So we forget where it comes from and who we should be grateful to. And even if, you know, we daven in the morning and ask God to give us success in our efforts, and you close the the siddur and you go, and then you go back to the reality of, manipulate the business this way, you'll make money. (laughs) It's almost like God can't stop it. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference in... in, It it separates the davening from the activity. In the olden days, you really davened, and then it really happened. You made a few bucks. (laughs) Your prayers were answered. Today, it's like, if you don't daven... It won't work. But when you do daven, it'll work. It will work. So it was like saying to God, just don't curse me and I'll be fine. Because I got it. I got it. I got this business. Perfect. (laughs) It's almost like back in the day, you were davening for survival, right? It wasn't about padding your 401k or your IRA. It was... Will I bring home enough that my children will have food for breakfast? They won't cry themselves to sleep. Right. Yeah. But even if there was more money, it was so clear. There's no way to make money. You go out there and you knock on some doors and and God will send you money. And it was always a miracle. You actually made a dollar. (laughs) Today is like, yeah, I played the market right and I... I did it. So there's a lot of a lot of ego investment in it. That just coupled with 
the amount of distraction we have, right? Our smartphones, our technology, the amount of side hustles and projects we're involved with, you know, when is there time to actually think of God? Or when is there time to enjoy the money you just made? Mm. You got to keep running after it? Retirement. And even then. So what do you do when you retire? Play golf? Seems a little boring. <clears throat> so two things. Firstly, there's, there's the ego pressure. If you knew it's up to God, the pressure was not so much on you. You had to do the legwork. But you didn't have to stay up late at night scheming. You're going to get up in the morning, you'll trudge down, or down to the river, and you'll bring some water. And it, was your, it was footwork. Today, it's all in the head. So the pressure is, is very intense, almost too much. And everybody's on antidepressants and anti-anxiety pills, and you need to take a vacation every two weeks because it's just, it's not, it's not the way it's meant to be. So the pressure, the ego investment, you know, if you lose money, it's like, you're a loser, you must be bad, God hates you or something. It becomes a whole traumatic. And then the other thing is, what's the point? Obviously, making money and having money is a wonderful thing. And everybody should be rich beyond our imagination. But why? The question really is, every animal rolls out of bed, takes a look around, and finds something to eat. You may have to chase it, but he'll mm -hmm. find something to eat. Only, only human beings have to travel, fly over, get into a boat and go across the ocean. Why isn't our parnasa, why, isn't our, our, why aren't our needs available right around the corner? What's with this whole scheme, with this whole, you work, you make a dollar, you buy something with the dollar. In Ganeiden, it wasn't that way. It was on the tree. You're hungry, eat it. Why does God make it so complicated for human beings? We have nothing better to do. Mm -hmm. Animals have their food right available, and what do they do the rest of the day? Sleep. That's all they do. <laughs> Once they've eaten, they can go to sleep. And we have what to do, but, but we have to spend most of the time pursuing. So if we really understand it properly, the reason God in, cre set up the situation, aside from being a curse by the sweat of your brow mm -hmm. because you ate from the tree, right? but aside from that, that aspect of it, if we didn't have to do business, we would never meet people beyond our own family or neighbor. It, the fact is that doing business puts us in contact with people we would never, never otherwise get in, even get to know. So it must be that that is a big part of the purpose. Go out to make a living so that you bump into people. And those people need your help or they can help you or you can inspire them, or you can learn from them. It's an experience. 
It's not just money. Because if you say, God provides Parnassah, so just bring it to my door. What do I have to, what do I have to schlep across town and meet some very disagreeable people mm-hmm. <laughs> who are out to, to outsmart me? And to... So if God is saying, this is how you make your money, it must mean that this is good for his purpose too. What's, what's, it, what's in it for him to make us work so hard and go so far afield? It's because it connects the world. I mean, Jews doing business in Dubai. If you can stay in your own neighborhood, you're not going to meet anybody in Dubai. You'll never get to know a rich Arab. <laughs> and I guess we're supposed to, because we're supposed to grow off each other. That's the main purpose. And if we could shift our attention, first of all, the pressure would go down. Sure, I'm here to make money, but is there anything I can do for you? We met for a reason. There's a purpose to our meeting. And it's not just the money. So it gives a little little nobility I'm not just running after after wealth. There's something noble in it. Human beings crossing borders, breaking barriers, uniting the world. And sometimes it becomes very clear. Had I not met this person who happens to be a customer, and had he not told me about this special doctor that he found that I could take my wife to and cure her from the incurable. Mm-hmm. Wow. Never mind the money. Talk to me. (laughs) Do you find that a lot of the stress as it relates to money is self-induced versus... Completely. Completely. We need to take a deep breath. Because if you you hang your whole uh, identity Mm -hmm. on the business, then, then every dip depresses you and every rise makes you arrogant. You're, you're on a roller coaster. Is that something that comes natural to someone that they have to actively combat? Or is that a result of today's culture or some additional byproduct where previous generations didn't have to battle with this uh, so-called stress? So again, in previous generations, uh, how your business is doing was not so was not so personal because it wasn't your identity. Right. When the business is down, uh, God is not giving me. When the business is up, God is giving me. But it's not like, I'm a schlamazel because I lost some money, or I'm a loser, or I'm a, or I'm a genius. It wasn't, that, it wasn't taken that way. So the ro- the emotional roller coaster is, is is it wears you down. It takes it takes years off your life, mm-hmm. literally. The Rebbe back in the fifties had a secretary who was a fanatical Dodger fan, and one day the Rebbe walked into the office, and this guy was very unhappy. <laughs> and the Rebbe said, "What's the matter? The Dodgers lost." <laughs> Are you on a roller coaster when the Dodgers win, you're up? When the Dodgers lose, you're down? It's not healthy. Maybe the 
inventions of all these medications is correlated with what society has brought upon itself, meaning perhaps they didn't need hypertension medication two, three hundred years ago. Oh, because they certainly didn't. And I don't know if the medicine is better than the disease or worse than the disease. Mm. So it's not a good thing. We need we need to uh, we need to be a little more independent of our careers. Mm-hmm. Don't identify with it. Just like you shouldn't identify with an illness. Now it's very very bad when a doctor says. Uh, the tuberculosis, oh, no, no, the, the pneumonia in room four. Mm-hmm. It's not a pneumonia, it's a person. They don't identify with a disease. So I don't, I don't, I don't like the uh, one part about the 12-step program. Mm-hmm. Hi, my name is Mike. I'm an alcoholic. That's your new identity? I don't know, that's good. Sure, you should admit that you have a problem with with alcohol, but that's not you. That's what I am? Hi, I'm a, I'm a banker. Like somebody asked the Rebbe once, a woman, you know, women were starting to go into the work field, so this woman asked, can I, can I become a typist? And the Rebbe said, you can make a living typing, don't become a typist. <laughs> no, don't become attached to a machine. So we, 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 for our own survival, for our mental survival, we need to disassociate. This is what I do for a living. This is how God gives me money. But that's not me. You speak about the difference between living and existing. It's almost that the question should be phrased, what do you do for existing, not what do you do for a living? Very good point. Very good point. You're not, you're not making a living. I don't know who coined that phrase. It must have been some little. You make a living. You're not making a living. You're making an existence. Now you got to go get a life. Find a living. But making money is not living. Making money is surviving. And that, that also is a big mistake. You think if you make a lot of money, your life is meaningful? Mm. What's meaningful? And then when women go into the work field, because it empowers women, that they can be CEOs and they can... It doesn't empower women, and it doesn't empower men. There's nothing masculine about making money, and there's nothing feminine about it. It's It's money. Doesn't make you more of a man, doesn't make you more of a woman. It just pays the bills. So we gotta relax about it. It's become too it's become too big mm-hmm. in in our in our when you divide up the pie, it's taking up a very big slice. It's not right. Even we work six days a week so that we can rest on Shabbos. Mm-hmm. That is so un, un, unfair, imbalanced. Six days so that you can relax one day? Shouldn't it be the other one? Should be the other way around. We should work one day and then have six wonderful days. That's Moshiach. One of the things about Moshiach is 
that we won't have to work to be able to exist. And so we'll have all the time to focus on our lives rather than our existence. So when people start talking about a four-day week, mm-hmm. that's Mashiach, Dick. Bring it on. Mm-hmm. Two-day week, wonderful. <laughs> but that makes so much more sense. Why we accept the conditions of our lives as if it's the only way. Corona showed us it's not the only way. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go to work. You don't have to go shopping. You don't have to travel for entertainment. You don't need any of these things. Why did we think that that was necessary and that that's called life? It's not called life. That's called misery. So we have we have become wiser as a result of, of COVID. Mm. Let's talk about, you mentioned the Rebbe a couple of times and what has been the general theme? I know he's been approached by many businessmen over the years and they've been asking for blessings and things of that nature. What has been the theme of his, the general theme of his advice to them? We, we have a lot of businessmen and businesswomen listening to this and they may understand that it's not about working 60, 70 hour weeks, but they want to know how to frame that you know, because work does take a good chunk of it, even if they're not investing all of their, their days. What what was the theme of his advice to these people? I'm not sure what the theme is, because everybody got a different answer. Mm. It was so individualized. But there is something interesting. You have to, you have to go to work co- based completely on trust and faith and belief that God will give you your parnasa. It's all faith. On the other hand, don't take any risks. How do you combine these two things? Don't take any risks means be responsible. Rely on God on pure faith means, hey, whatever. (laughs) God's going to do whatever he wants. That's a fascinating combination of If God is providing us all with what we need, why can't I just open a little candy store in the corner and mm-hmm. show up three days a week? <laughs> and God will give me what I need. So if somebody would suggest that to the neighbor, they would say, what kind of business is this? You want to get rich on a candy store? doesn't work. Mm-hmm. What do you mean it doesn't work? According to nature... That is not going to happen. So you're asking God for a miracle. No, that's not right. You trust that he will give you, but naturally, not miraculously. A miracle, you have to really be, I mean, some special. So if you want to make a lot of money, you have to create an, an avenue or a tool that naturally could provide a lot of money. So if you have two candy stores, obviously you can make more money than one. So don't, don't, don't tell God to perform miracles for you. Do what you need to do, and then ask him that your effort should succeed. And that also 
has a purpose. Why can't God just make food fall from heaven? He's done it before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but that was out in the desert where nobody saw. But if he did it now, everybody's going to want. So, so give everybody. <laughs> not just Jews. Make food fall from heaven for everybody. Why not? Why not? I can't see a downside to it. But there is a downside. When we run a business and trust God to give us success, there's a relationship going on. We ask, he gives. We, we open the, the, uh, the vessel, he fills it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to open a vessel? He should just... That's so impersonal. Mm-hmm. It's like, just give me. That's, that's not so part of why we need to work f- for a living is because that's how we partner with God it's an interaction it's like and that's more valuable than the whole than the whole business so God says uh, God will bless you in all that you do you don't do? Oh, so you want a miracle. Mm. It's not nice. Just give me. That's not a relationship. So partnering with God is basically the theme of our lives. That's, that's how we should see ourselves. Everybody. Every human being. We're partnering with God. I'll do my part and you will respond or he will do his part and I will respond but there's an interaction going on. There's there's some energy exchanged. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's deadening. So I guess the theme of it all, and I'm I'm not saying it's the Rebbe's theme, but the theme of it all is we don't do anything that is a dead end. It's not worth it. Anything we do that doesn't get a feedback, a response, a reaction, is not worthy of our efforts. So business is a perfect example of it. If I make a sales pitch and nobody buys, <laughs> I got a wonderful product, but it ain't going nowhere. Come on, that's not business. If I buy something for $5 and I sell it to you for $5. No business. <laughs> it's it's sterile. It's not productive. It's not there's no life to it. So business is all part of life, and life is partnering with God. How do we strengthen our Muna, our faith? It doesn't come naturally, and I find whenever I do open up uh, books and Musar Svarim, it keeps me aware. What do people need to do day in, day out to strengthen that? connection or lack thereof with God? The best thing, better than a Musa Sefer. Mm -hmm. Look at some of the people who are fabulously wealthy. They're such idiots. They've got nothing going for them. They have no personality. They have no virtue. They're not smart. They're not noble. Obviously, it has nothing to do with who you are. 
God gives because there's there's a plan in 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 place and this serves the plan so do your part in the plan don't think you're running the plan and those who would retort that many a times those wealthy fabulous people have zero connection or very limited connection to god is that all part of the master plan yes and that's a good lesson too wealth doesn't mean god likes you there was some 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 division, some christian denomination that actually believed that mm. if you're successful god likes you if you're not successful god hates you it's not true it's not true it can't be true the best people in the world had miserable lives and the worst people in the world were successful so no you can't think that way it's not about how much you make it's how much of a relationship did you did you create by making a living with the other human beings and with god so where is the life behind your wealth quick break from this week's episode our resident finance expert is here shmuel shiowitz refinancing it's a loaded loaded word someone owns a home they're paying at a 4.5 percent rate and the market's recovering and they're looking at a 3.5 percent rate if they were to refinance you know over the course of the year that's thousands and thousands of dollars when is it too early to refinance? When is it uh, the right time someone will call you up? It may not be applicable you know, in 2022 for, for all that matters, but at some point, the market's going to reverse itself and we might be back in the threes and twos. What do you tell them? So it's a great question. As you said, Ellie, it's a very loaded question. It's a very case-by-case specific answer. So... Just to um, cut through the bureaucracy, I think banks, maybe intentionally, unintentionally, whether they do it on purpose or not, I don't know, but people try to make the refinance process very complicated, perhaps to just uh, get people stuck in the process and, and not really ask too many questions. The way I like to explain it is there's two reasons, two umbrella reasons, primary reasons why somebody would be refinancing. One is to improve their rate or the term of the loan to go from a 30-year to a 25-year, which will lower their interest rate and the total interest paid over the life of the loan. Um, so primary reason would be to keep your balance exactly the same, get a lower payment, or pay lower interest over the life of the loan. So that's a rate and term refinance. The other reason would be a cash-out refinance. Some people think it's an equity. Some people confuse it with equity loans. Um but anytime you're taking more than the balance of what you owe today, you're considered a cash out. And there's a lot of reasons to refinance, even if, and, and I do them, we, we do a lot of them, even in today's market where rates are higher than the historical lows in the twos, but for the people who have either debt, people who, um, uh, who have expenses or are paying more for their money or earning more in investments and they need access to money, and especially with the amount of equity that's available in, in, in the average home today, cashing out is also an opportunity. So the answer is really 
whether or not somebody thinks, you know, they read something online or they get an alert or they see something that triggers them to say, hey, my rate is X. I just saw something that says rates are below X. Should I refinance? My answer to them would be, if you need money, if you think that you can improve your financial situation, and I'll give you a great example. Even if somebody has a rate of, I don't know, in the fours, mm-hmm. and they can get the same exact rate today, most people will say, probably doesn't make sense. But if your objective is to lower your payment, then you can refinance, go back into a 30-year mortgage. You can literally, for the exact same interest rate, for no benefit in, in psychological interest rate you know, visual, mm-hmm. You can put 200, 300, 400, depending on your loan amount, you can put $400 a month into your into your bank, save, put that money elsewhere or save it for something else and you've freed up the money. Obviously, it goes into the conversation of, well, I've now extended my loan, I have a longer, but all of these parameters and in terms of your your question, which is where I wanted to where I wanted to take this is when somebody's making the evaluation, does it pay to refinance? The answer is always going to be, well, Let's look at the, first of all, my question number one is always, what's your objective? And then they tell me, and sometimes they don't even know. They just know, well, my friend, or I heard in shul, or um, I saw online, or does it pay? I have no idea. People don't know. So they, they just ask because they feel like they need to, quote unquote, do their due diligence. They need to feel like they're, they're putting in their stylus for the, a lower rate. But it's a great question. The, the answer is, it should always be considered if somebody feels like they are pressed for saving money, making money, allocating money differently. And then the thing is, once we identify your objective, we say, well, what will your month-to-month savings be? And then what is the life of loan compared to what you have today? Most people don't do this. I do this on every refinance call that I get. How much interest do I have left to pay if I did nothing? I had a friend of mine who was chasing me this is when rates were in the fours Mm -hmm. you know as covid was going down rates were in the fours his rate was six something percent in the sixes and he was chasing me to refinance and i said doesn't pay doesn't pay doesn't pay he said what do you mean i said i i did your mortgage for you i know what you have left we did a 15-year mortgage he had like six or he had five or four years left at that point in time i said you're mostly paying principal so here it's not an interest if you if your objective is merely to save on the interest there's no interest that's being mm-hmm. paid. If it's a psychological thing, you want to be able to tell people in Chul you got a 4% rate at that point was amazing. So I said psychologically, or if you want to cash out. So in the end, he didn't do it, but I had to actually show him in, in on paper where what those numbers look like. So that's part of the analysis. What my month-to-month savings will be and life of loan interest, where will I be benefiting from? And if you take those two parameters into consideration, you will easily be able to identify whether refinancing pays regardless of what the interest rates are. And a little side note is, I think there's two things. One is I think that if and when we go into recession, I think interest rates will be revisiting lows. I don't know that they're going to go into the 2.5% rate um, range, but interest rates will definitely be going lower. So I think people should be mindful of that when they're making their decisions today in terms of borrowing, whether they're buying or whether they're refinancing. And the second thing is, work with somebody who, for example, we have a, we call it a proof for life. So we have an approved for life um, strategy where we are monitoring literally billions of dollars of mortgages at any given moment. Mm -hmm. And we are alerted and we're triggered when there's a refinance opportunity, not just because of the interest rate, because equity may have improved, because somebody's PMI should be removed. There's so many little variables within a mortgage 
that could help somebody improve on their monthly payment beyond merely refinancing and beyond simply refinancing, besides just getting a lower rate. I like that. If you'd like to be approved for life, call, email, text, whatever it is, approved funding. Visit approvedfunding.com slash mortgages. If you're looking to refinance, you have a follow-up question, Shmuel's available, more than happy to answer all of your great questions. And now back to this week's episode. The Chabad movement has been very focused on the bringing of Mashiach. My upbringing wasn't a Chabad upbringing. There were mentions of it, and it's part of the focus, but it wasn't a core focus of it. What message would you share as being part of the Chabad movement with others that may not have been exposed to um, Mashiach discussions and things of that nature, but not just a message, but how to tie it into their everyday life, that it becomes real to them and that we're not just waking up at 7, 8 a.m. and going to work and coming home, that there's something bigger at play, that there's a third temple we're striving for. And that we're getting close. We've always been striving. Mm -hmm. That's old news. So part of what, I mean, to put it in dramatic terms, the Rebbe was saying, we have believed in Mashiach for 3,000 years. In fact, Moshe Rabbeinu, when God said to him, go talk to Padre, Moshe said, just send Mashiach. What are you playing these games? I'll take them out of Mitzrayim, they'll end up in Bavel, and then they'll, just send Mashiach already. So it goes back that far. Uh, So we've always believed in Mashiach, and we always uh, hoped that maybe, maybe we will be the ones who will... The Rebbe said, that's not good enough. Thank you very much for believing in Mashiach. What are you doing? It's time to bring him, not believe in him. So don't sing animamin. Go do something. In other words, Mashiach doesn't come miraculously out of, the, out of a cloud. The world has to be ready. Because if it's going to be a miracle, why, the miracle couldn't happen a thousand years ago? Obviously, something needs to develop so that Mashiach can come. The world has to be ready. He's not going to come and argue with us. That's the last thing we need. Another machlekes. <laughs> so Mashiach is going to come. The world is going to accept him. Everything is... How? What kind of world is going to accept him? Well, we got to get the world ready. So what are we doing? So literally, the Rebbe stopped singing Animamen. It used to be like the closing song of every Fabrengen. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I knew. When they sang Animamen, Fabrengen is over. Stopped. Stop with the Animamen. It's time for Mashiach, so we got to finish the preparations, get get with it. So what are we doing to bring Mashiach? It's a very empowering thought. We want all the benefits of Mashiach, but you don't have to do anything. And then when the benefits come, you feel like a total outsider, loser. What did you do? 
I believed. <laughs> no. The Rebbe wanted everyone to feel like they contributed. Out of Avas Yisrael. That no Jew, when Mashiach comes, should stand on the side and say, oh, he's here. And feel no connection, no involvement, no contribution. So the Rebbe wanted everyone to feel, yeah, I brought Mashiach, I helped. I did something. So what does it take to bring Mashiach? First of all, the world has to welcome him, not doubt him. Is the world ready to welcome Mashiach? Much more than 10 years ago. Much more. Because what is Mashiach? Somebody with a message that makes sense. Oh, we're so desperate. <laughs> the whole world. I remember when I was a kid, uh, every country was absolutely confident that they had the answer to all the problems. Every country, every, every, everybody was sure they had an answer. Today, everyone is sure they have no answers. It's, it's without exception. So if somebody would come and make sense, everybody would listen. I mean, really make sense. So the world is a, far more ready than ever. Some of the symptoms of Mashiach a pre-Mashiach, is that there's going to be a total absence of truth. There'll be no honesty, no truth, nothing. Fake news? Mm -hmm. Fake news is a messianic slogan. The world is consumed by fake. Everything's fake. All the things we trusted as being solid, true, like science. <laughs> Science can be our biggest problem. Medicine. Oh, yeah, doctors. They'll heal everything. Yeah, they'll also kill you. Hospitals. Stay away from hospitals. The worst, most dangerous place to be. What? What's politicians? Religion? What's what? The world is so ready to hear something real because, boy, are we surrounded by falsehoods, and Narishkeit, and, and nothing, empty, terrible. Mm. The other thing is the communication. If Mashiach comes today, everyone in the world will know about it today because there's an internet. I remember my grandfather having a conversation about how are people going to know that Mashiach came? Let's say he comes to Tzvas, Mm -hmm. Supposed to come to Tzvas first. Well, in Poland, how are we going to find out? You know how long it takes for tra for news back then to travel from Israel to Poland? So Mashiach will be here for about two weeks before we even find out. <clears throat> Not today. Oh, my grandfather actually said, he was a very uh, religious Jew. He said, Mashiach is going to blow a shofar and the whole world is going to hear. The whole world is going to hear one shofar. Yeah, it'll be a miracle. Okay, fine. Miracles? <laughs> Can't argue with miracles. But now, no miracles. Mashiach is not a miracle. Mashiach is the result of a lot of hard work. Don't give me miracles. Give me results. 
And that's why we have to say, Mashiach is coming, not Mashiach is going to come. Mashiach is going to come sounds very passive. It's on the way. We'll sit and wait and he'll come. That's not Mashiach. Mashiach is coming because for 3,000 years we have been preparing the way for him. So he is coming, not he's going to come. And the question is, can we, can we brush it up a little bit? Can we move it along? Or can we start seeing a little progress? We are seeing a lot of progress. And for me, the most powerful One of the prophecies about the end of days is that the nations of the world will come to the Jewish people and say, teach us the ways of God because we have been misled. Mm. Oh, is that happening today? I can't tell you how. Online, people from the jungles of Africa who can barely speak English, one of them particularly said, you're the light to the nations? So where are you? We need you here. In Africa, in New Guinea, in in Tanzania. This guy was from Tanzania. We need you here in Tanzania. So if that prophecy is already happening, can you imagine during or after the Holocaust? Tell a Jew that The people in Tanzania are going to call you and say, come on, you're Jewish. You're the light of the nations. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Hasn't been that long. And the demand, the non-Jewish world is so hungry for Torah. I mean, come on, that's... So yeah, we're much closer. We're much more ready we have the tools. The internet is the solution. How are you going to teach the whole world? So the Rebbe's revolution was, don't tell me you believe in Mashiach. What are you doing? So it, it, it gets much more respect when you say oh i believe mashiach is going to come he's going to have he's going to solve all our problems you sound like a baby Mm. (laughs) come on but when you say so what can we do to bring mashiach oh you sound like a responsible human being what can we do and specifically you know as this is a money show what can we do with our money to hasten the arrival of Mashiach. So one of the things that I find inspiring, there are people worth $200 billion. Is that a joke? What's the punchline of the joke? $200 billion? Where does he keep it? Got a big safe? (laughs) What does it mean to be worth $200 billion? It means you're going to go crazy. You're going to go insane. Unless you realize it was never meant for you. How could you possibly be sane and think that God gave you $200 billion for you? Go have some fun. 
<laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And they know it. They know it. Some of them. But then they take the money and then they fight climate control and things of that nature. So they understand it's not for them, but perhaps... They don't the, know who it is for. Right. But everybody admits, you got to give away. You got to give away a lot of that money. It's not just because you can't use it, but because it was given to you to give away. Now, it's much easier to convince people that the love you have is not for you. So a person who says, I have $200 billion, I'm keeping it under my mattress. So why are you keeping it? Well, it's mine. Say, so, yeah, it's yours, but a person loves himself. So why, why are you loving yourself? It's my love. Love was never given to be kept. If you are capable of love, love someone, not yourself. Love more than someone. Love everyone, but not yourself. Just like the gift of communication. Oh, you can speak? So who do you talk to? Myself. Uh, they'll take you away. <laughs> it was not meant for you. So this, this simple earth-shattering message, your life was never meant for you. That can change the world dramatically. All the money I have, who says it's for me? Just because it's mine? It's yours to take responsibility for the distribution. You have love, it's for you? That's crazy. You have information to keep for yourself? That's crazy. So you tell a child, in order to turn a child into a mensch, you tell a child, you have a, you have a lot of life, you have a lot of energy, you had a lot. It's not for you. That's it. You've set them on the right path. So the world, the world is ready for that message. So what do you do with your money? You give it to who it's meant for. So don't even consider yourself uh, generous and big-hearted. You're not giving away your money. You're delivering the money to where it's meant to be. And it's not a sacrifice. And you're not a saint. And if you give your love to others, not a sacrifice. And if you share your knowledge with others. So if God is giving us, and he is giving us, lots and lots of money. Good. Is the feeling of pain that someone feels when they give charity, that they're parting with their money, is that because you erroneously thought it was yours to begin with and it's detaching from you? And how do you combat that pain, even though in, in your mind you know you're doing the right thing and you're giving it to those less fortunate, but still every time you look at that credit card statement and you see you know, $360 swiped for charity, you know you should feel good, but you don't always feel good when you 
when you're giving it. So ideally, I mean, really ideally, not too ideal, too ideological. A person should give away anything he doesn't need for the next three meals. That's that's very difficult these days because besides the three meals, I need to pay my mortgage, mm-hmm. I need to pay my uh, taxes, I need to pay my lawyer's fees. So it's not just the meals. So when I finish paying all my bills, I'll give away the rest. That would be nice too. But we don't do that. We feel a need to have a backup fund, a rainy day fund, a retirement fund. That was never, that was never part of the thinking. If I have what to eat, the rest I don't need. That that's a that's a sane, that's not noble, that's just sanity. I have, and some people don't. So why am I keeping the money? Mm-hmm. I should have for next week when people don't have for today. That's why we need to be much wealthier so that we can give everyone what they need and still be able to put away some money for next week. <clears throat> so we we are we were tested very severely for hundreds of years. We were tested with the uh, the burden of poverty. Will we remain moral? Will we still be from? Will we not not give up on God if we go through poverty? And we've done very well, Mer- magnificent. Now it's time to be challenged with wealth. Mm. Let's see how good we can do when we're filthy rich, obscenely rich. <laughs> Will we will we become corrupt? Will we forget about God? Same, it's the same. The Rebbe, the Rebbe was lobbying for the test of wealth. Enough with the poverty. How many times do we have to prove that poverty is not going to stop us from doing mitzvahs and buying an esrig? And now we should be tested with wealth. You would say that's one of today's big challenges? Oh, yeah. I I was asked to come give a class at a Talmud Torah, a modern Talmud Torah. They were studying Eve. And they wanted to talk about how you can believe in God even when you're suffering terribly. I walk into the classroom and I took one look and I said, you guys are studying the wrong thing. How, how, to, how to remain positive when there is suffering? Your problem is not how to remain positive. Your problem is you don't know what suffering means. You should be studying a text that tells you how to remain faithful to God when you're spoiled rotten. Yeah. What are you doing studying Job? <laughs> it is so irrelevant to your lives. So do we appreciate the fact that those days are gone. We are being tested with, and I'm talking about billions, but very comfortable. Now what? How do you handle being comfortable? It's a new experience. <laughs> 
haven't been comfortable in about a thousand years. So, making money should be a part of serving God. Every Everything should be. But wealth is a big challenge. It's a big challenge. But when you pass that test, it's good for God, it's good for you, it's good for your neighbor. It's just good. There's been this growing trend of not just giving Meiser 10% of your wealth to charity, but up to 20% of Chaymish. Is that a positive reaction to this test? If we're going to be graded and people have the ability to give more up to what our sages tell us is appropriate, is that a, a good step in the right direction? My guess is that the average Jew gives away more than 20. Unknowingly. Who's, who's counting? Mm-hmm. Really? Who, and, and that's fine. That's perfectly okay. Uh, 20% should be an obligation. But there's no limit on Rahmanas. So if somebody's really needy, oh, no, I'm sorry, I gave, I've given my 20%. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing. I don't, we don't do that. So I think the average Jew gives away more than 20% which is beautiful. But I think people should know, you talk about how painful it is to part with a check, mm-hmm. as if like it's like an amputation. Right, exactly. Yeah. There has never been a person who gave away a serious amount of money that didn't make back twice. It has never happened. I mean, there are people who gave away a lot of money and suddenly their business crashed. Mm -hmm. That means everything stopped. But as long as your business is going, you will make back twice the amount you gave. It's it's been proven over and over. And you ask anybody who has done it, they'll tell you. They are never left with a deficit from tzedakah. And there's another serious thought. Person says, uh, "I am I am making a very good living. I'm very comfortable because my income is great. That's not yet wealth. How much money comes in does not determine whether you're doing well or not. Where does that money go?" God forbid if you have to spend it on doctor bills. You're not that rich. God forbid you have to spend it on lawyer's fees because you're being sued, you're being whatever. That's not. So before you decide that you're successful and wealthy, don't just look at your the bottom line. What's happening in your life? Mm-hmm. So, in addition to asking God to give you the money, you're also asking God that it should all go to a, to a healthy, happy causes and not be drained by 
We'll be right back to this week's episode, but I want to talk about inflation. Inflation is really hurting our nonprofits. It's impacting the cost of eggs, bread, and there are widows and orphans in Israel, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families that need our help. And inflation to them is very personal. So if you have the ability to help with a dollar, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, an eighteen dollar monthly recurring donation, please, please, please visit kolachabad.org slash kosher money. The link is in the show notes. You can really help a lot of families put bread, eggs, milk on the table during these hard times. And then for the holidays. If you have the ability to buy gift baskets and create smiles on the faces of children in hospitals, veterans, seniors, there's so many people that they're helping and every dollar you donate goes to an amazing, amazing place. So please take a moment. You can come right back to this video, but hop away. Go to kolchabad.org slash kosher money. Let us know in the YouTube comment section that you've done that. It means a lot to us, but more importantly, it means a lot to caring families in Israel that need your help. Now back to this week's episode. When you look at the various causes, there's so many different types of charities and different organizations about where the money can go and the different types of people it can help. How should one prioritize where to give their tzedakah? There's raise-a-thons and, and GoFundMes and charities and people knocking on the door and synagogues and yeshivas and Israel and the army. You know, there, there's no shortage. So someone has to be selective if they want to make a, a meaningful impact or no. Give a dollar to 1,000 charities is better than giving $1,000 to one charity. As a combination of, like you know, everybody has a pushka in the house. We give tzedakah every day, a few coins, and that's very important, the habit of tzedakah. And then there's making an impact with your tzedakah. So you should do both. It shouldn't be one or the other. You walk down the street and somebody asks you for a dollar, you don't say no. You don't say, oh, I already you know, have my allocation set right. for the month. Well, right. I've just given a million dollars to the hospital. Right. Thank you very much. I'm starving. <laughs> I'll celebrate your, your, your success some other day. But right now, the other thing is you don't, you don't, you don't judge when you're asked Why don't you get a job? Uh, you were here yesterday. Again. What, what are you doing? Either be generous or mind your own business, but don't lecture. You know, and don't condemn people, even in your own mind. This guy's such a loser. You know. You're doing a mitzvah. Do it like a mitzvah. Not like some drudgery. Rebbe talks about the translation of tzedakah is actually righteousness and charity is an inaccurate translation, which follows the theme of what you just mentioned. Yeah. But it is, it is a, again, I, I find that it's like almost you're fighting natural instinct, right? 
when you do pass someone day in day out and they have a cup in front of them your tendency is you know knock on the door it says help wanted you know you you have to we have to i think realize that we have these animalistic instincts and our first reaction is usually our, the wrong reaction and we have to you know constantly combat that especially as it relates to our money yeah that's on the emotional level what we're talking about is what your brain should be thinking if it trickles down to the heart that would be great mm -hmm. but even if it doesn't it helps just to think clearly am i giving away my money the money that is meant for me no so it shouldn't be painful it still feels painful okay so you push through the pain but you don't let it stop you at our house the rebbe had given us a dollar it sits on on the the ledge what was the reason for giving away dollars i've never i was never really exposed to it i was much younger when the rebbe passed away but what's what was the thinking there and what, what did the dollars represent exactly it was such a brilliant thing so simple and so brilliant you know people would come to see the rebbe privately three nights a week there was never enough time the lines the people getting disappointed because they couldn't get an appointment and and it was very draining on the rebbe sitting and listening to somebody for an hour or whatever so as the Rebbe got older, he switched. He said, you want to see me? Come on, any Sunday. I'll give you a dollar. And if you have a real issue, you know, let me know to the point. I'll give you a bracha. And done. So instead of three, seeing people three times a week at nights, he saw ten times as many people, gave ten times as many brachas, and the tzedakah that flowed from that, right, the idea was he's giving you a dollar to give to tzedakah, mm. but add a dollar of your own also, or more. So people kept the dollar that Rebbe gave and gave. So if you felt like the Rebbe's dollar is worth 10, you would give $10 to tzedakah. So the tzedakah generated by that was just awesome. And the amount of people who got to see the Rebbe say something, get a bracha, get help. And it's so simple. That's why genius is always so simple. Mm -hmm. And it's such a good skite, you know, for the Rebbe to stand there all those hours and not get bored. You know, the last person in line, three and a half hours later, gets the same welcome with the same interest that the first guy got. That is an amazing thing. So let me tell you this little incident. I was in England mm -hmm. years ago, and uh, somebody arranged for me to speak at the BBC. They have uh, a five-minute segment, I think, on Fridays that they put it on. A thought for the end of the week, an aspiring thought. So I go up there to the studio, 
And this uh, young guy with a ponytail, back then everybody had ponytails, he's, you know, he's the technician and he's making all the arrangements, he's plugging things in and turning things in, and he's muttering to himself. And I heard him say, another bloke who thinks he can say something to 800 million people? 800 million people hear that broadcast. And I thought, whoa, this guy has been listening to a lot of and thinking. Just rolling his eyes. Yeah, like, who do you think you're talking to? 800 billion people are going to, 800 million people are going to find this relevant? Earlier that week, the Rebbe had spoken at a Fabrinian suggesting that every company, every school, every organization, at the end of the week when they pay their workers, should add a symbolic dollar to be given to charity. Because now that you have what you need, think about somebody who doesn't. So I turned that into a five-minute and this guy says, I think you did it. It's so simple and yet so divine that it's got to come from a brilliant mind and a very warm heart. That's what, <laughs> that's what brilliance and, and genuine empathy produces the simplest solutions. Here, here's what you need. Money can sometimes bring out the worst in people in terms of business, disagreements, um, inheritance, familial fighting related to it. How does one remember their real relationships with people and look past the dollar because when you're in the thick of it you know this one slighted me i deserve this much that you know my percentage should be this i you know tended to that you know how, how do you fight that off well it also produces a lot of crime you know, wherever there's a crime you say follow the money mm -hmm. <laughs> there's money behind it somewhere somebody's making money yeah uh but I don't know if it's the money or it's simply power hungry or greed, which can be in anything. Even in, in knowledge, you can be greedy and power hungry and use knowledge against people. Mm -hmm. But money lends itself very easily to this. Uh, you don't behave, no allowance. Right away, it's the money. You get punished by cutting off your money. But if it can be that painful, then obviously it can be that powerfully good too. Any, anything powerful can go either way. And But the, the worship of money is... It's deadening. And I'm, I, I hope that people at this point, we gotten used to being rich. Mm -hmm. It was new, it was exciting, it was incredible. But now nah, we got, got used to it a little bit and it's, it's, it's not everything we thought it was, so calm down. You know. 
Don't use it to punish people and don't use it to reward people. And just find the godliness in it. Now, people look at a dollar bill and that's this, the, the root of all evil. No, it's not. There was a little a child sitting in, in, uh, in his grandfather's lap at a wedding and somebody came by begging, and his grandfather took out a dollar bill, and the baby pointed it and said, Rebbe, in his mind, what's a dollar bill? What the Rebbe gives on Sundays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not the root of all evil. So what do you associate dollars with? God's blessing? A tzedakah box? That, that should be like the default position. I, I bent down to pick up a dime at the airport mm-hmm. and I see somebody looking at me like really? can't resist a dime? so I, a total stranger mm-hmm. so I just pick it up I look at him I said this can be charity charity is awesome and you can do it with a dime? Don't knock it. So it's not a dime. It's charity. Oh, okay. That, that's, how, that's how we should think of it. You mentioned this idea about us having primarily been getting used to money and maybe realize it's not all that cracked up to be. I find a very similar thought as it relates to technology and the iPhone. You know, the iPhone 1, iPhone 2 was jaw-dropping and awe-inspiring. And then, you know, over time, the changes between the smartphones are very minimal. You know, they try to, you know, encourage you to purchase the new one. But I'm hoping we're getting to the point, as it relates to technology, that, okay, you know, it was exciting, you know, it distracts us, but ultimately, it is what it is, and... It's not going to get all that more exciting. So take your head out of the phone and start living a little bit and stop being distracted. Yeah. I think we're getting there. Uh, oh, somebody, I forget. The, you go on your phone and you you know, try to get some, make some uh, contact with something and, and it doesn't happen right away. Mm-hmm. What is wrong with this phone? Hey, it takes two seconds. Can you slow down? <laughs> like somebody said, hang on a minute. We're beaming a signal from the moon. <laughs> Can you wait a second? So yeah, we're already we're already critical of how long it takes. It shouldn't take so long. So yeah, we're we're asking for better technology, bigger technology, and. It's not respectful to yourself to become dependent on inanimate objects. <laughs> what, what are you doing? You become, you're, you're willingly making yourself a slave mm-hmm. to this. Just this week, I lost my phone. I left, I don't know where, I left it. 
for two days I walked around without a phone. How was that? And I and I realized it's crazy. I was thinking, where, where can my phone be? Hmm. I'll call uh, the place I was. Oh no, I don't have the phone. <laughs> so they thought I'll call. I can't call. That's not even a possibility. What do you mean you can't call? You always have the phone. Can't call. Wow, that's a new experience. <laughs> I need to tell somebody something. Yeah, okay. No, I don't have the phone. It's humbling because it makes you feel like that's you can't live without that thing. That's, that's like a it's like a crutch. You're happy to be walking around on crutches? It's but the ultimate, ultimate technology will take us back to Gun Aiden. Everything is instantaneous. You don't have to have patience. Whatever you want, you have a baby, immediately it's done. Mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, that's eventually what's going to happen. But that's because the world will be perfect, not because we will be impatient. You have a book which I glimpsed at the cover and will display it as I'm talking through it. What's the name of the book and can you describe the, the cover and the, the thought behind, the premise behind the book? Uh, there are two books actually. One is in Hebrew. Yeah. The other one is in English. The English one is called Creating a Life That Matters. And one of the things we talk about in the book is intimacy. What is intimacy? Intimacy means two people connecting to each other with no thing between them. In other words, they're not, they're not connecting to a third thing. It's like, mm -hmm. we both like this drink, so we're going to talk about it and share it. And, no, no, no. But then we're not connecting to each other. We're connecting... So, a quick example. A man says to a woman, I want to marry you for your money. You have money. I love money. Everybody will agree that that's not, that's not right. But you ask people why. It's a very strange, even from women, which is surprising. There's some strange answer. Oh, because what's going to happen when the money runs out? Is that your problem? <laughs> okay, the money won't run out. Now you're going to marry somebody who wants to marry you for your money? If somebody says, I want to marry you for your money, he's not marrying you. He's marrying the money. You come along. That's why as long as there's money, you can stay. When there's no money, what are you doing here? I didn't marry you. The scary thing is that that's true of everything, not just money. If I marry you for your looks, same thing. I'm not marrying you. I'm marrying a look. If you, you lose that look, what are you doing in my house? <laughs> you don't belong here. I didn't marry you. Even if I marry you for love, same thing. And this is where we're suffering so much because we all marry for love. 
But marrying for love is like marrying for money. What happens if the love runs out? But even if the love never runs out, I'm not married to you, I'm married to the love. So, just the love. I don't want to hear your personality. I don't want to hear your opinions. I don't want to hear your mood. No, 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 no. Just the love. Come on. That was the deal, right? We're going to share love. Not you. I don't, I don't want to put up with you. Just the love. It's a disaster. Yeah. It's so impersonal. So the problem with money simply is that it's an object. Life is not about objects. Intimacy is only with another human being. If you can get all the things out of the way. So you cannot be intimate with a reason. You can't be intimate with an object. So the two things that are destroying marriages is love and sex. The two things we think define marriage. No, that's what's ruining marriage. Because love has become a thing and sex has become a thing. So it's not about the person. That's called objectified. I'm using the person for this thing that I really enjoy, whether it's money, love, or sex. In our relationship with God, we do the same thing. I'm not interested in God. I'm interested in heaven. I'm going to go to Gan Eden. Who can get me into Gan Eden? God? Fine. Let's make a deal with God. But I don't want God. I want Gan Eden. It's so nasty. I'm going to put it in different words. A, person, a man can say to a woman, you know, in a perfect world, you would just give me the money. Why do I have to marry you to get your money? But the world is not perfect, so I guess I'm going to have to marry you. It's so nasty. And the same thing is true with God. I want Gan Eden. I want a good life. You're not going to just give it to me, huh? No, I'm going to have to do mitzvahs for you. Okay, I'll do the mitzvahs. It is so nasty. Mm -hmm. So money has become like the symbol of all things that distract us from life. So when we need to get things out of the way, you get married to each other. Money is not an issue. Looks is not an issue. Yichus is not an issue. Love is not an issue. I want you in my life. You. All of you. Not, not my favorite part. And that's how we have to be with God. Nasa Vinishma. What am I going to do for you? I don't care. Whatever. As long as it's you. Creating a life that matters. And the Hebrew book, what's the name of that book? The Hebrew book, I have a copy for you. It's called, I Didn't Ask to Be Born. It's a revolutionary, very popular book in, in, in Israel. I didn't ask to be born. What do you mean, I have to? What do you mean, I need? I don't need anything. I didn't ask to be born. 
So I have no needs. So what am I doing here? Well, I'm hoping desperately that somebody needs me because I don't need. All of a sudden, I find out that God gave us a Torah that said what he needs. So, oh, thank you. That is such good news because I don't know what I'm doing here. One of the developments of modern times is that we no longer are willing to, to live in order not to die. That's what we've been doing for 5,000 years. It's really, looking back at it, it's like, why did we put up with this? Hey, plow the fields and, and put in the seeds and harvest, the, otherwise you're going to die. Everything, bottom line, if you don't do that, you're going to die. So I have no life. I just have a desire not to die. This doesn't make any sense. Live so that you don't die. And it's not a pleasant life. Difficulties, painful. Yeah, you gotta put you gotta put up with all of that so that you don't die. You know what? I don't care. <laughs> this is what people are saying today. Stop telling me what I have to do. What's the worst that can happen? I'll die. Did I ask for life? Was I desperate to be born? No. So what, what is this threat? <laughs> All of a sudden, that doesn't make any sense. So, the conclusion is, I am not needy. Stop telling me how needy I am. You're depressing me. I am not needy. I am needed. That's a celebration. So, I don't need money. But some people need me to have money so that I can give it to them. Because for myself, you mentioned last time how it's God's plan that needs me. And then I was talking with Adam and he was telling me this, you know, it's before we had our first interview and he was talking about how it's God's plan that needs me. It's not that we need God. And then I said to him, like, there are many people who try to push back on this thought. How can you say God is needy? How do you respond to, to that notion I think it's a big to-do about nothing. Did God create the world? Yes. Did he create it for a reason? Yes. Okay, so? Don't tell me he doesn't need anything. Make, don't make, don't make a, a joke about creation. If he created the world, he created it with a reason. A reason he doesn't need? <laughs> what are you saying? Okay, the word need freaks people out. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Change it. Did God create the world with a purpose or without a purpose? With a purpose. With a pur Is that purpose important? Very. To him? Yes. <laughs> no, it's not important to him. It's only important to us. Don't, don't, don't be silly. Right. That's like, what are you, you're defending and protecting God from having a need? He doesn't need your defense and your mm -hmm. protection. <laughs> he created the world 
because something needs to happen. I don't need it to happen because I didn't create the world. So what do you mean? You create an entire universe and you don't need anything? I don't need. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That word like... Like you're filling a void. Yeah, like he's crawling on his knees begging. No, no, he's not crawling on it. But you don't create a world when you don't need anything. Of course, his need is perfect like everything else about him. Mm -hmm. So first of all, it's definitely going to happen, unlike my needs that don't happen. And nothing forced him to need it. He needs it because that's what a God does. So does he need to be God? Or is that optional too? (laughs) What would be a closing thought as we enter the new year? Chances are people might be listening to this in three and a half years and it's Passover. Whatever it is, someone watching this, what's something that you'd like them to ponder more about, do, take upon themselves, a challenge? What's something that you'd like to convey and share? I think this is really, really important. When you're davening Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, don't ask God for another year of life. That's given. Of course, he's going to give you another year of life. You're healthy, you're, you're young. What are, what, are you, what are you worried about? Don't go crazy. It's the opposite. The thing we're worried about and the thing that we get so in awe of, days of awe, right? we're in awe of the fact that we're going to have another year of life. And a year of life is scary. Not death. Death only hurts for a minute. Death is not scary. Death is, is uninteresting. Life is awesome. God is going to give you another year of life. But do you remember what you did with last year? Don't do that again. Don't let a year slip by with so little to show for it. A year deserves more. So we should cry and beg and plead with God for the seichel to make better use of this year than we did last year. But don't walk in there thinking you're going to die. Don't get morbid. It turns people off. Don't ask for a year of life. Ask for a year of living. It takes a whole new meaning to a new year. I had this experience where this very, very secular group of people came to Yom Kippur mm-hmm. services at a Chabad house. Mm-hmm. What, are you gonna, what, what should they do? They can't read Hebrew. They can't. So they sat there watching what was going on. And then we went into a, another room to talk about what Yom Kippur is and so on. And their reaction to what they saw was, what is wrong with these people? They're pleading for life? They're healthy. They're young. What is this? It turned them off. What is wrong with you people? 
He's right. He's absolutely right. God is going to give us a year of life. What are you, what are you, what are you thinking? Do you deserve it? Since when do we deserve? When you were born, you deserved it? God will give you life because God is a creator and God likes you and God wants you to be alive. The question is, when he gives you this year of life, do you know what to do with it? And the scary thing is, you might treat this year like you did last year and the year before, and that is scary. So, Life is awesome, not death. Don't be morbid. There you, there you go. There you have it. If you'd like to learn more about Rabbi Manus Friedman and contact, I believe the website, it's goodtoknow.org. Yes. Okay. Remember from last time I visited it. Um, highly recommend uh, checking out Rabbi Manus Friedman's YouTube channel, his books, his other works. Um, no shortage of content out there and uh, instantaneous to your fingertips. So everybody should have a good, sweet year. God will give us a good year. Amen. We have to make it sweet. Amen. Thank you so much, Robert Friedman. Thank you so much. Previous viewers, new viewers, welcome to the Kosher Money YouTube channel. Thanks so much for watching this week's episode with Rabbi Manis Friedman. If you're not a subscriber, Hit the button, subscribe. We've got a lot of great content. Watch our previous videos. A lot of them are approaching a million views and for good reason. If you want to get in touch with us, visit livinglechaim.com. You'll see a YouTube channel there. You'll see other podcasts. You'll see my brother has inspiration for the nation. There's a mental health episode, um, show, podcast, video network. It's amazing. If you have suggestions for us, hit the comment section. We want to know what you think. A lot of the things we've done has been a result of your comments, and we appreciate that. Our friends at livingsmarterjewish.org have all the financial resources you need. Visit that website. You can see it right here on the bottom of the screen. We thank our sponsors, Kolal Chabad. If you have yet to sponsor, click on the link in the show notes, kolalchabad.org slash koshermoney. Your money as Rabbi Manus Friedman says, will go to an amazing place, charitable place, and help the world get better. Approvedfunding.com slash mortgages. Visit that location, that link, and talk to our friends at Approved Funding. LivingSmarterJewish.org, LivingLechaim.com, KolChabad.org, ApprovedFunding.com. There are so many sites for you to visit. So that's the end of this video. Until next time, keep your money kosher. I'm Ellie Langer. See you next week. Living L'chaim.